You are tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nahumsiegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
Good morning and welcome everyone to another great week of programming here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Matas Weingast with you on JM Sunday. It's June 16th, 2013, the eighth day of Tammuz, 5773, and today is Father's Day here in the United States. So happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. For those following Daf Yomi, Erevin, Daf 100, which means that we finish Erevin this coming Friday and... Uh, on Shabbos, Pesach, Pesachim starts with um, Daf Beis on uh, this coming this coming Shabbos. Hope all of you had a wonderful Shabbos and a great week this past week. We are looking forward to a wonderful week ahead with uh, great programming here on the Nachum Siegel Network, right here on the stream. This morning, uh, my guests are uh, going to include Rabbi Danny Center of Chavke, but he will be talking about a different hat that he wears. He is a beekeeper. That's right, a beekeeper. So we're going to be talking about bees, and that's going to be coming up uh, at around 8.10 this morning. And uh, then at around 8.30, my guest will be Rabbi, uh, Mr. Daniel Gordon, and uh, he is, of course, one of the uh, hosts of the stunt show right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Heard on the Thursday afternoons. And he is going to be talking about the uh, great network cook-off that will be happening this week. So uh, make sure to keep it tuned. We expect to have Rabbi Goldwasser at 7.30 and uh, news from Israel at 8 o'clock. Also, during the next uh, two hours, I'm going to be playing uh, some music that is uh, not by a, a Jewish artist. So I'm letting you know ahead of time. But I'm going to be playing some selections from Yanni. I'm sure most of you have heard of Yanni. And why am I going to be playing some selections from Yanni? I will let you know coming up in the next, uh, oh, about half hour or so when we get to the first selection. So let's get right to the music. We opened up, of course, with Moda'ani by Regish, as we always do here on a JM Sunday, and as Nachum does on JM and the AM every day of the uh, week, work week, Monday through Friday. And as he will do, God willing, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. So here's music on JM Sunday. Thanks for joining me.
Uh, Sholy uh, Sholy Waldner here on JM Sunday. Matis Weingast with you on this Father's Day. That was Simintov. Before that, we had a dance medley from uh, Metalish. And uh, Yaakov Shweki from uh, Shweki Live at Nokia. Lo Yisagai. Vihari Nenu from Shlomo Kalbach opened up our song segment, which of course followed Modaani, our opening theme, as I mentioned before. Here and every day on JM Sunday, JM in the AM. It's coming up at 7.28 Eastern Time in the morning. And uh, it's right now about 65 degrees where I am in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. Or New Jersey, New York area, if you will. It's the 16th day in the month of uh, June. 8th day in the month of Tammuz. And as I said, it's 64 degrees. Going up to a high of around 80 degrees with scattered thunderstorms here in the area. So people here will have to get their barbecuing in early if they uh, are going to do that today or any of their outdoor activities. And in Israel right now, it's 81 degrees, and it looks like it's going to stay that way in Yerushalayim for the rest of the day there, going down to the high 50s in uh, in Yerushalayim tonight. Um, coming up during the 8 o'clock hour, we hope to have our news from Israel. I know that's a very popular segment with the Chana Levi Julian I understand that she's traveling today, so we're going to try to make contact with her. Hopefully, uh, we definitely will. Following uh, the news from Israel, if we have it, we will uh, be joined by Rabbi Danny Center of the Chufke talking about bees. And Daniel Gordon from the Stunt Show will be my guest at 8.30. We're going to have a very exciting talk about the upcoming network cook-off that's going to be taking place this Thursday night on the Stunt Show. So we'll talk about that. And uh, and see what we can uh, see what we can get from there. See if I can rile them up a little bit since we are uh, competing contestants in that. Uh, so we'll see what happens over there. And the following morning chizuk, which will be up in just a few seconds, I'll explain to you why I'm going to play a couple of selections from Yanni. 
So right now at this time, it is uh, it is in fact time for Rabbi David Goldwasser and his words are Lezecha Nishmas Rav Zev Rav Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We read in Bereshis, Vayikra Yitzchok El Yaakov, Yitzchok summoned Yaakov, Vayivarech also, and he blessed him, Vayitzaveo Vayomer Loi, and he instructed him, and he said to him, Loisikach Isha, Mibnois Kanan, don't take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. The Chovetz Chaim explained that if a person wants to have Hashpa, influence on his child, then he should make sure that he approaches the child in the proper way. He shouldn't approach his child with anger, insistence, or upset. Using these negative midos can produce negative results. We learn this from Yitzhak Avinu. The Pasuk tells us, that first he blessed Yaakov, he spoke to him softly, and then he gave him the command of Loisikachisha. Rebeliezer Papo, the Mechaber of the Sefer Peleyotz, asks which waters can extinguish kas, anger. He answers, being quiet at the time of anger is like water poured on a fire. The Sefer Chassidim talks about being quiet as well and says that if a person will speak gently, it will greatly help. When the mother of the great Rosh Hashiva Rav Pam was only eight years old, she decided she was going to fast on a Sarabateves. She realized that if her parents would find out, she'd have to be Mavatar, give up this decision. So she spent the day at her friend's house. When she returned home, her father, who was the rub of the city, had a very distinguished guest who was visiting him. When the guest heard what she had done, he got angry and he said that she should get a strict punishment. If this was my daughter, I would really give it to her. Rebetzin Pam's father didn't say a word. As soon as she had finished a good dinner, she went to her room. Her father followed her and said, My child, you wanted to fulfill a mitzvah, and I understand that. But you should know that this time you made a mistake. For the one who is supposed to fast, it's considered to be a mitzvah. A person who is exempt from the fast and withholds food from his body is over an iser, they transgress. Bez Hashem, with God's help, in a few years you will fast and then it will be a great mitzvah for you. The mother of Rav Pam, who lived well into her 90s, used to say, that it was the gentle reproof of her father that was said in such a wonderful manner that it remained with her throughout her life. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Thank you very much, Rabbi Goldwasser. 7.33 a.m. Eastern Time in the uh, on the stream, jmandtheam.org, nachamsegel.com. Matis Weingast here with you on JM Sunday. We are here till 9 o'clock. I mentioned before, Rabbi Goldwasser, that I would tell you why I'm going to play a couple of selections from Yanni. I'm sure most of you have heard of Yanni. And uh, he's, not a, uh, he's not a Jewish uh, musician. But he is going to be performing in Israel this coming Thursday night at the Nokia Stadium in Tel Aviv. He's going to be doing his uh, first concert in Israel. 
And um, as you can imagine, there have been uh, many people who have tried to pressure Yanni in not performing in Israel, to boycott Israel. And uh, you know, there have been other artists who have succumbed to such boycotts, unfortunately, over the last few years. They have uh, scheduled concerts in Israel and then canceled them or never scheduled them in the first place. Uh, I believe it was Miriam last week who had somebody on to talk about uh, Alicia Keys, who's going to be in concert, who refused to boycott and refused to cancel her concert. And uh, Yanni, too, is going ahead with his concert this coming uh, Thursday night. Uh, and uh, that's going, I don't have the details of it, but you could look it up. Uh, if you're going to be in Israel and you want to go to the concert, I believe there's some tickets left, uh, some of the high-end tickets that are left. Uh, I think it's mostly sold out. Uh, so he's performing this Thursday night, and uh, I felt that it would be appropriate in tribute to uh, to him to play some of his selections today as a thank you to him. Remember, we call this show JM Sunday, and Nachum has JM in the AM during the week. JM doesn't stand for Jewish music. It stands for Jewish moments, and I think that this is a, a Jewish moment that should be recognized. And we appreciate Yanni uh, taking the time to do the concert in Israel, certainly. Uh, it's been uh, a long time in coming. Many, many people have wanted to have him uh, in Israel. Also, by the way, I don't know if you know that there's a big connection that uh, Yanni has to WFMU, our uh, host station of JM in the AM. Yanni, in fact, got his start uh, through WFMU. There was a um, there was a, a DJ at the time, uh, not on JM in the AM. It was a, an afternoon DJ on another program at WFMU, and uh, he uh, he heard Yanni, and uh, in the very beginnings when Yanni first came here from Greece, uh, he played his music, and uh, many people said that they were very impressed by the music, enjoyed it, liked it. Uh, this uh, DJ invited, uh, I think his name was David Ginsburg, uh, was the DJ. He invited Yanni into the studio a few times, um, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history, because at that time, Yanni didn't have a... A, a producer didn't have an agent, and uh, David set him up with one, I believe, uh, introduced him to one in New York, and from there he became uh, the Yanni that uh, everybody everybody knows today. Uh, so it is uh, it is in his tribute that we are playing some of his uh, music today, a couple of uh, songs. As a matter of fact, I did not <laughs> I didn't even realize this was the next one I was going to play, but this one is called Tribute from the Tribute Album. And here on JM Sunday is Yanni.
AM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama. It is more than a camera store. It's the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network. Located at 42 West 18th Street in New York City, Adorama's number is 1-800-223-2500 for cameras, audiovisual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, iPods, iPads, and more. Adorama, imaging and beyond since 1975, official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network, 1-800-223-2500. Before, uh, before we continue with the music, I want to remind you that Nachum will be on tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. bright and early on uh, jmtheam.org. Following his show from 6 to 9, following his show at 9 o'clock will be the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten. A great mix, as always, of nostalgic and new Israeli music, and uh, the uh, much-anticipated Mayor Milim segment. So that takes place on the stream at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, following J.M. in the a.m. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we uh, hope to have uh, our news from Israel. We'll see if we can get a connection going there this week. After the, uh, after the news, around 8.10, we're going to be joined by Rabbi Danny Center of the Chufkei, talking to us about bees. And coming up at 8.30, Daniel Gordon 
We'll be talking about a fantastic stunt happening this week on the Stunt Show, a network cook-off, and uh, we'll see if we can rile him up a little bit and uh, see what information I can get from him since we are going to be competing contestants along with uh, some others that we'll mention. Uh, as, and um, <laughs> let's see what we can uh, let's see what we can find out from him. Maybe I can I can find out a couple of his uh, techniques. We'll see if he's going to be at all interested in sharing anything with me <laughs> ahead of time. So uh, that'll be coming up at around 8:30. And uh, otherwise, we're going to go back to some music. Here is what's next on here. You know, we're going to do something from uh, Shragi Gestedner. It is the Lachaim on JM Sunday.
That's Godlu from Shalshelas, volume number three, here on JM Sunday. Before that, Lachayim from Shragi Gestetner, S.I.N.I. from Yossi Bayless opened up our song segment this morning on this in this half hour following uh, Yanni. And we'll be, play, we'll be getting to another Yanni selection later on in the show. Uh, it is 8 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time here on JM Sunday. I wanted to remind you that uh, JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama. It is more than a camera store. It is the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network, located at 42 West 18th Street in New York City, 1-800-223-2500. That's the number to call, 1-800-223-2500. Don't forget to uh, go to Facebook. If you're on Facebook, like the uh, JM Sunday page. Let's get those likes going. You can also do the same thing while you're there for Mayor Weingarten's uh, Israel Show on Facebook. And uh, you'll be connected with us, we'll be connected with you, and you'll hear all the latest information, find out what's going on. So that's uh, JM Sunday and uh, The Israel Show, both on Facebook. If you want to send me an email, please don't hesitate. Send it to matis, M-A-T-T-E-S, at nachamsegel.com, matis at nachamsegel.com. We're going to uh, go to the news from Israel now. Uh, and uh, hopefully with all the uh, traveling that she's doing, Khanna Levy-Julian will be able to join us. Uh, Khanna Levy-Julian is the senior correspondent and an editor for the Israel National News English Division and a news broadcaster in Israel. We say good morning to Khanna Levy-Julian. Good morning, and how are you? Oh, great. I'm glad we made the connection. Good morning to you. Good morning. I'm. Uh, it'll be a tenuous connection. Because I'm also driving on uh, Route 6 this week, the Long Israel Trans-Israel Highway, so it may be a little bit of a crazy connection. Uh, yeah, we're he- we're hearing Good it already. So uh, let's go to the let's go to the news. Uh, what's doing this week? So let me just tell you that this morning, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and also Intelligence Minister. Yuval Steinitz both had comments about the Iranian elections on Friday, and they were discussing the uh, the new president, Hassan Rouhani, and uh, most people believe that Rouhani is a moderate, and there have been hopes in the international community that Rouhani would uh, herald a change in the nuclear development activities in Iran, both Steinitz and Netanyahu, however, have both said that it's not likely that we're going to see any major changes in Iran. Uh, the prime minister explained why this morning at the cabinet meeting what he said was that it's very simple. Um, the nuclear policy, and in fact all foreign policy, is not really formulated by the president of Iran. It's formulated by the supreme leader who is Ali Khamenei, and therefore the power behind the throne, as it were, is not in fact the president, it's the supreme leader. So it's not likely we're going to see any major changes. I'd also like to point out to you uh, the other story that we're working on today is what's going on up in Syria. Uh, President Assad's forces have retaken a suburb up in Damascus, and the rebel forces seem to be weakening slightly. That's causing some concern in the White House, and there are more discussions about 
which weapons, if any, they should be providing to the rebels. That sounds like a, a typical busy uh, week in Israel. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the news that dominates is again the um, the the uh, uh, on the military side and on the defense side. Uh, hopefully, yeah. there will be some yeah, changes. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Syria. The reports that came out the last week about the United States agreeing that there were uh, chemical weapons used, uh, which is uh, what's causing this shift in uh, providing um, uh, weaponry to the rebels. Uh, and the election in Iran certainly are fluid um, events that are occurring, and and hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be peaceful for Israel. That's for sure. Uh, we mentioned before well, that there's yeah, a yeah. that there's a piece of news from Israel that Yanni is going to be in concert on Thursday night in Tel Aviv. I don't know if you're planning on going there, but if you are, we certainly would like you to uh, to uh, snag a uh, an interview with him. Uh, you know, with many. Uh, musicians from around the world have been asked, and some have given in to the request to boycott Israel. Right, and I'll I'll tell you, there there is some good news. I should tell you, Matis. There are two bits of good news that I can offer you. Good, good. One is that the border fence is almost completed. Uh, The MSS multi-sensor system is almost completed up in the north. It's already been completed in the south. And the second bit of really good news is that the weather is just gorgeous. <laughs> just really, really stunning. Excellent, um, excellent. And the tourists are having a much better time here than they are in New York. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you for those pieces of good news, and uh, we'll let you go on your uh, on your travels there on the highway, um, so that uh, you keep safe and uh, drive on to your destination. Um, I want to mention, by the way, that um, many people tune in to this segment of the show. Uh, and I thank you for joining us uh, every week on the JM Sunday. I want to say a shout-out to Mr. Sinensky, who listens to the show every Sunday and uh, loves this portion of the, uh, of the show. So I want to thank you again, Hannah, for joining us on Sunday, and we hope to speak with you next Sunday morning. My pleasure. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks a lot. Hannah Levy-Julian, live from Israel. Here on JM Sunday, we're going to get to our interview with Rabbi Danny Center coming up in just a few moments. Here is Yehuda Glanz with Naale on JM Sunday.
Yehuda Glans with Nala here on JM Sunday. Coming up in just a minute, uh, we'll be joined by Rabbi Danny Center to talk about bees. We'll get to that in a second. Just wanted to remind you that uh, we are here until 9 o'clock in the morning, and uh, following which will be an encore presentation of the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. Great programming continues throughout the day today on the uh, Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsiegel.com, jmandtheam.org. Tomorrow morning, Nachum will be back 6 a.m. bright and early on the radio, on the stream with JM and the AM, followed by the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten at 9 a.m. on the stream. So it's a summertime, coming up in summertime. I think this Friday is the first official day of summer, which means, of course, that we will uh, have visitors all throughout our backyards. Some of them are friendly and uh, desirous. Uh, some of them uh, not so friendly, and uh, we may not want them, but yet they are, they play a very, very important part in uh, the ecosystem of the world. So we are honored to be joined this morning by Rabbi Danny Center. He is a rabbinic administrator at the Chufke. He's also a first lieutenant in the Teaneck Volunteer Ambulance Corps. But we are here to discuss with him his other business, and that is as a beekeeper. Good morning, Rabbi Center. Good morning, Matthew. How are you this morning? Thank God very well. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank God, you too. Thank you. So, uh, Danny, you, you wear a lot of hats, and uh, they all keep you busy, I'm sure. But if you take a look at your website, njbees.com, people will see you wearing a hat of a totally different kind, and that is a, a beekeeper's hat. How did you get into the area of beekeeping and honey producing? That's the second most often asked question to me. The first question is, of course, uh, do you ever get stung? Which the answer is I, not often, but I do. Um, I became a beekeeper. Actually, I was visiting a friend of mine by the name of Joey Kleinman. He had a farm. I think he still does have, but he at that time was operating a farm in upstate New York, and he asked me to help him with some chickens. I'm also a shochet. And while I was there, I turned and look over and see a couple of boxes behind the fence, and I'm like, Joey, what's that? He said, that, those are my bees. I'm like, you have bees? That's crazy. Uh, then I said, but what do you have the fence for? The bees aren't going to keep the fence. The fence are not going to keep the bees in or out. He answered, that's to keep the bears away. I'm like, bears and bees, I'm in. And I did a, some reading. took about six months to, uh, to study up on bees. And about two and a half years ago, I got my first set of bees. Wow. Or colony of bees. And those are honey-producing bees, correct? Correct. The only bees that are co- – there are a couple of other bees that are used for pollination. But for the most part, if, you, if someone's described as a beekeeper – He's keeping honeybees. Uh, so there are people, because uh, I read up a little bit about this to sound somewhat intelligent when I, when I spoke with you, when I, to speak with you, and there are people who keep um, pollination bees that go to crops that need pollination and don't necessarily have natural bees. Is that, is that right? Um, well, the bees are indigenous to the to, to, to European and um, Middle Eastern areas. There actually are no bees that are native well, there are no honeybees. Bumblebees are native to the U.S., but there are no honeybees that are native to this area. So all the bees are imported, but we in recent years have been suffering from something called colony collapse disorder, where, where feral hives have been dying in alarming rates, and that has caused a concern for, um, for, for pollination. Specifically, there are certain crops that require insects for pollination, example, almond crops, um, apple crops, and it has become common practice, although it was always common, but it's become even more common practice to move hives hundreds of miles for the purpose of pollination. 
Wow, so th- you're talking about major crops, though, if the uh, Correct. bees aren't the almond, there. California almond crop, there are thousands upon thousands of hives that are moved every year to assist in the pollination of almond crops. Wow, and, and people don't realize how much of a staple almonds are in many different diets uh, around the world. Well, you uh, can go to apples, apples also. Apples also, of course. Uh, I, I don't know if this is correct, but it's, I think I read somewhere that, that California might be one of the largest almond producers in the world. I believe they are. Uh, so it, extremely, extremely important. Uh, touch upon a couple of things. Now, sure. when we head into uh, Sukkot later on, you know, a couple of months from now, everybody says, oh, the bees are out, the bees are out. What kind of bees would those be primarily? And are there really such things as angry bees? Do they get angry? What should we do about them? Okay, so first of all, I would venture to say, with exception of myself, most people have never been stung by a honeybee. Honeybees are very docile. They're commonly confused with wasps, hornets, and yellow jackets. What we have visiting our sukkahs, for the most part, are yellow jackets and hornets. Those are smooth bees, They do, uh, flying insects. They don't have any hair on them. They are similar in size and coloration to honeybees and are far more aggressive. I don't know that you could describe angry as anything other than when you accidentally stumble on a hive. Um, bees are bees both. Bees, yellow jackets, hornets are defensive of their hive. Their brood or babies are in the hive, uh, as well as their food stores. So if you stumble on one of their hives, either on purpose or by accident, they're going to defend that hive. Away from the hive, there are flying, stinging, and biting insects that are aggressive, and there are those that are not. Bumblebees, honeybees, carpenter bees are docile bees and basically will just move out of your way. If you're working in the garden, unless you actually sit on or or capture a uh, honeybee, they're going to fly away, especially they recognize that their sting means the end of life for them. They can only sting you once. A yellow jacket or hornet can be far more protective of an area and aggressive. So most people are bothered and stung by yellow jackets, hornets, and wasps. I see. generally are docile. Right. Rabbi Danny Center is my guest this morning on JM Sunday talking about bees. He is the uh, proprietor of New Jersey NJBs. Uh, and you can get information there on the website, njbees.com. We'll talk about honey in, in just a minute. But going back to uh, being stung, there are people, though, that when they are stung, they have a very low tolerance to the, um, to the, to the uh, poison, I guess, and uh, can be very highly allergic, and they won't realize it until the first time they're stung. It could result, uh, as I'm sure you've seen in your volunteer work with uh, the Teaneck Volunteer Ambulance Corps, uh, a major reaction that has to be treated immediately. Right. Matis, it actually could be not until the second sting. It's very often that the mm. first sting is when you will develop the allergy, and it would only be upon the second time a person is stung. Uh, that, there are two types of people. Oddly enough, I am allergic to bees, oh. but I'm not what's called anaphylactic allergic to bees. I have a localized reaction more severe than most people. If I get stung in the leg or the arm or the face, which, again, happens rarely, but when it happens, I have a reaction greater than the average person. The average person will just have a little bit of swelling. It will itch. It will be uncomfortable. I actually have all those symptoms, but at, on a larger scale. But that's not the person we're really worried about because that will eventually go away. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. It's a little bit more noticeable. It's the person that has what's called an anaphylactic reaction, which is an obstruction of the airway, and that could be life-threatening. And a person like that certainly should not be a beekeeper, but more importantly should be aware if he has this allergy of the allergy and aware that 
time would make a big difference. Most people with that allergy are instructed to carry an EpiPen, um, which is a medication of epinephrine administered in an injection. And as soon as they have signs and symptoms or know that they've been stung, they're actually supposed to use that to help alleviate the chances of an anaphylactic reaction, which in severe cases can result in death. All right. Now, in the work that you do besides producing honey, which, again, we'll get to in, in a minute or so, uh, do you actually remove uh, beehives or colonies when people call you? They find, let's say, there are a couple of bees uh, floating around there, flying around their garage, and they're seeing them go into a hole or in the side of the house. You know there's probably a bunch of bees there. Uh, do you do that? Do you take care of those things? Yes. I refer to that as bee rescue or a bee extraction, depending on where they are or what's going on. Um, it's actually the fav- my, my favorite part of what I do with bees. Um, and when you say a few bees, understand a honeybee colony will never be less than 6,000 bees. Wow. And in the height of the season, will approach 100,000 bees. Uh, the queen bee lays approximately 1,000 eggs a day. Um, so the average hive is quite loaded with bees. You may see only one or two of the field bees flying around, but if they're entering a, you know, an area, whether it's in your house, in an old tree, there's a very good, strong possibility that there are thousands upon thousands of bees inside that uh, enclosure. And they won't take up much room. It's a relatively small space that they could fit into. Correct. They do need a little bit of space. They're not going to sit in the space of a golf ball. Okay. But, uh, yes, it could be a very small void in a wall, and they'll make comb in there and fill that up pretty quickly. So if we see some bees in our backyard flying around or you know, on the plants and pollinating them, but we don't see them going into our house or into the garage, let's say, or into a tree stump, how far away from their colony might they be? How far do they venture? Honeybees can travel three miles from the hive. Wow. So just because, and especially, I get calls like this. Somebody has a flowering bush outside the front of their house. Well, one bee finds it, will go back to the hive, communicate to the other bees that there's a great source of nectar here, and all of a sudden they'll have 100 bees on their, on their bush. If they're not going in and out of something, they're just visiting your bush. As soon as it finishes blossoming and those flowers disappear, the bees are going to find another source of nectar and are going to disappear. Uh, if uh, bees are bothersome to people sitting outside wanting to have a barbecue and whatnot, what's the best way that, without, without killing them, what's the best way that they could uh, kind of keep them away? Is there anything that can be done? Well, they do. The, 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 best, the best way is, first of all, not to entice them to come to you. If you've got a bee problem, for example, in your sukkah, the last thing you want to do is leave open Coca-Cola or um, <laughs> other sweet items out especially a long period of time. If you go into the house and you leave a cup of soda out on the table, bees communicate inside the hive. And you start with one bee who stumbled on this uh, sweet uh, drink, and all of a sudden you're going to have 20, 30, 40, 50 bees um, either at the same time or one after the other. So the first thing is don't present that source. If it becomes a problem and they've already found your the area, whether it's your backyard or the sukkah, you may want to actually set up a lure somewhere else, which would mean set up that cup of Coca-Cola uh, in another area where the bees will be attracted to it. It may take a little bit of time, but eventually if you don't give them a source by you and there's another source nearby, the bees will find another area to populate. So don't invite them to your, uh, your bee kiddish. Exactly. <laughs> uh, NJBees.com is the uh, is the website. NJBees is the company. Danny Center is the proprietor. 
and the beekeeper. Let's talk about honey for a couple of minutes. In the Torah, it talks about Eretz Zeshem and Devash. Most people uh, might think that that's honey, but it's not bee honey. It's, in fact, date honey. Correct. Uh, and yet, we eat honey. It is a kosher product, and it is, however, the byproduct of a non-kosher um, living thing, which in general is not something that we would have. We can't have uh, milk from a non-kosher animal, and we can't uh, uh, get other things. Why is it that honey is kosher? Uh, it's an excellent question, Matis. It's actually asked by the Gemara and Brachas. Um, what you're saying is Hayotzi Minatame is Tame, and therefore this, if bees make honey, which is what people commonly say, where, do, where does honey come from? Bees make honey. Well, the real answer is bees don't make honey. Bees collect nectar, and they actually, the field bees, that's the bees that go out into the field and collect nectar, will visit between 100 and 1,500 flowers collecting nectar. Now, where do they put that nectar? There would be no room just in their mouth, and if it goes into their stomach, they're going to digest it. It's finished. The answer is HaKadosh Baruch created bees with a second stomach, which is not really a stomach. It's a, it's a honey sack inside their body. And the, a, a field bee will collect up to almost its own weight in nectar and then return to the hive with this nectar. So the nectar is really just flat, produced by flowers, which flowers are kosher. A, 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 nice, a nice sample of nectar you could have right now, honeysuckle is in bloom. And if you pop up the, a honeysuckle flower, right at, the, right at the bottom of the flower will be a drop of nectar, which is 90, 80 to 90% water and sugar. The bees collect that. They bring that back to the hive. When the bee returns to the hive, it's met by a house bee, and the field bee transfers the honey or the nectar that it collected in the field to this house bee. The house bee then chews it and transforms that sugars from a, a complex sugar, a disaccharide, to a simple sugar, a monosaccharide, and then places it into the cells in the honeycomb where it is condensed down, evaporated, the water is evaporated off to bring it to a 15% water content, and uh, that is what we refer to as honey. Wow. Honey is basically not a product of bees, but a product collected by bees from flowers and is therefore kosher. It's basically a, a honey factory that the bees, uh, the bees have set up. Well said. So for the, for the purpose of the bees, what is honey used for? Well, bees actually feed their themselves and their babies two foods. One of them is, well, there's actually three things that they feed them. They feed them honey. That's what the honey is really in the hive for. And the bees will consume up to, the bees themselves will consume up to 200 pounds of honey in a year, depending on the area and how cold the winter they have. Wow. Um, they also feed, their, feed themselves and their babies pollen, which is protein. Uh, the, the honey is carbohydrates. Pollen is protein. And the queen is fed another product called royal jelly. Now, royal jelly, I was going to mention that. Royal jelly is, is there's a discrepancy, or there's a difference of opinion, uh, if I'm correct, in, in terms of kosherists, of royal jelly, because royal jelly is actually something produced by bees. Is royal jelly kosher? Most opinions are that it's not kosher. Royal jelly is excreted from a gland in the bee's head. Um, and is fed to the queen. It is not really a food that we commonly eat. It's used basically because the average bee lives six weeks. A queen, undisturbed, can live six years. 
Oh. And the only real difference between a queen and a worker bee is its size and the food that it eats. So there's been this theory that this the food that are fed to queen bees will obviously affect longevity. It's got a lot of healthy nutrients in it, and it's it's something that would be good to be consumed. So there, the people started collecting it and using it sort of as a nutritional supplement or as a vitamin. Uh-huh. And that's what we call royal jelly. It's actually collected from developing queen cells where they... They coax the bees into making a whole bunch of queen cells and collect this royal jelly. And most people are of the opinion that it's not kosher. Okay, so if you see royal jelly out there with a hashkacha, it's possible. It's not really royal jelly, but it's something that might taste like it and something that is uh, Well, just I don't know that anybody's that. running after the taste of royal jelly, but it <laughs> may be an artificial royal jelly, which they, tr- they try to, although it's very difficult, but they try to break down the components of what's in royal jelly and duplicate, make an artificial. So it could be that there are artificial royal jellies Got out it. there. Got uh, does not have a royal jelly product under its uh, supervision, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, a couple of quick things before we end up. Honeycombs. The honeycombs themselves. I know if you take them out and uh, let them drip, the honey comes out. Uh, two things. It, can you have, uh, from, a, uh, from a, a food standpoint, unfiltered honey right from a honeycomb? And two, is the honeycomb kosher and edible? Okay, those are both great questions. As far as unfiltered honey, there's really very few people who will eat. If you take honey right out of the hive, very few people will eat it completely unfiltered because it does have both insect parts in it as well as um, probably too much pollen to make it really taste good. Pollen mixed with honey has a little bit of a bitter taste. So most people have moderately filtered honey but will still have pieces of natural occurring occurring byproduct in the in the honey that's 100% kosher and even if you say well maybe there's a bee part or two you can't eat bee parts themselves but bee parts are considered nifsel they consider that they will give a negative taste to the honey and therefore we're not really concerned with them okay. as far as wax wax also is produced by the bee but it's considered a tuffle to the honey it's considered basically just a carrying or storing agent for the honey and is therefore kosher. Um, even rendered wax, rendered wax doesn't have much flavor to it, but rendered wax can be eaten and is kosher and is very commonly used in candle making. And many people have a minute that specifically on Hanukkah that they want to use wax, wax candles for the shamus made out of beeswax. Amazing. Now, your company produces uh, edible honey, correct? Correct. And it is sold, uh, you can get it through njbees.com. And the contact phone number for you is 201-491-4602. And we'll mention that again later. Also, your uh, company is there at the Teaneck Market every Thursdays, every Thursday uh, during the uh, during the summer months. Weather weather permitting. Weather permitting, right. got rained out. And you can, buy, uh, you can buy pure honey that you produce, correct? Correct. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, last quick thing, because we're coming up on a... On a break uh, that I'll throw out there, a lot of people uh, hear that you should not feed honey to a child under the age of two. And if I read this correctly, one of the reasons is it ties into the fact that, on the one hand, uh, honey does not spoil. It takes a very, very long time for honey to spoil because of the low moisture rate, as you described in the uh, honeycomb, the moisture evaporates. So honey itself can have a moisture of uh, 18% for what I read, but with a high sugar content. However, 
if honey sits out or is uh, is kept open, more water can be absorbed, and that would possibly create uh, a breeding area for bacteria, and that bacteria can't be handled by an infant's uh, system and could be very, very dangerous, even fatal. Did I did I get that correct? Uh, yeah, I, but I think there's even more of a cancer that regular liquid sugar itself would not be a storage ground for this because of the fact that the honey itself is a preservative and was used in ancient times even as an antiseptic. It actually could create an environment where um, microorganisms which are completely safe for us could survive inside the honey and could present the risk to someone with an underdeveloped immune system. Okay, so you do have to be careful with that. Correct. Rabbi Danny Center, thank you so much for joining us this morning on JM Sunday. Pleasure. I look forward to having you back. We'll talk about this some more. And uh, and have a great day and a great you Father's too. Day. Thank you. Bye. Here Here is some more music by Yanni. And just in a couple of minutes, we'll be joined by Danny Gordon, uh, Daniel Gordon of The Stunt Show. We'll be talking about... Um, the upcoming amazing uh, stunt program cook-off happening this week on, uh, on the network.
Yanni here on JM Sunday, as I explained earlier today. Yanni is going to be in concert in Israel at the Nokia Stadium in Tel Aviv this coming Thursday night. And in tribute to that, and in tribute to the fact that Yanni did not cancel his concert, as was requested by many people, and thankfully not as many people, uh, he uh, is continuing with his concert in Israel and... Um, we are we are thankful for that. I can't be there, unfortunately, but uh, many people are. It's almost sold out, from what I understand. So we thank him for playing in Israel and uh, for keeping up uh, with the concert and not give in to those people who uh, are trying to convince other artists to boycott Israel. JM Sunday is brought to you by Adorama. It is more than a camera store. It's the official electronics retailer of the Nachum Siegel Network. Located at 42 West 18th Street in New York City, 1-800-223-2500 is the number. For cameras, audiovisual equipment, electronics, portable entertainment, iPods, iPads, and more, Adorama, imaging and beyond since 1975, official sponsor of the Nachum Siegel Network. My thanks to Rabbi Daniel Center of the Chafke, who is uh, the proprietor of NJBs. You can... Uh, Contact him at njbs.com. You can also give him a call at 201-491-4602. And uh, you can speak to him about your bee issues, and you can get uh, pure, fresh honey from him. 8.36 in the morning. We're a little bit later than we thought, but I am joined, and I apologize, but I am joined by Daniel Gordon. He is the Manager of Presidential Communications and Public Affairs in the Office of the President of Yeshiva University. He joins me this morning, though, as one of the stunt show hosts. The stunt show is uh, on the Nachum Siegel Network on Thursday evenings, and there is a great stunt coming up this week. And this is the uh, last opportunity that I'll have on the network to speak with Daniel beforehand. We are going to be competitors. So uh, with uh, trepidation here, I welcome Daniel Gordon to JM Sunday. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? Great, great. Thank you. Well, this is a, uh, it's a it's an opportune time to talk about this. Today's Father's Day, and uh, people are out there going to be doing barbecues and whatnot. And the idea of having a cook-off is uh, not far-fetched. Uh, and you also, as people who listen to the Stun Show know, in your segment are a country music aficionado. You know, that kind of ties in a little bit there. So how did this idea come up to have a cook-off? So um, I'm always thinking of ideas. I mean, the stunt show is partially a stunt because of its because of the fact that it's hosted by four different people each week, so it kind of gives a different perspective. And, but also, and by the way, uh, if I may say, that's you, and it's Mark Zomik, it's Jordan Gorfinkel, and Mayor Ferdig. That is correct. The four um, hosts. And probably, you know, I'm I'm probably the fourth best and definitely least experienced. Um, <laughs> so so in light of that, I try to come up with ideas of things to do. Um, I was the host uh, on my show of the famous, uh, what I would call, Ping Pong Massacre. That was when uh, Ellie Hagler was uh, destroyed by S.D. Ackerman and the OU. Um, I was also host of the uh, Papa Shot competition at Yeshiva University. That was when I destroyed Ellie Hagler. You can see a theme coming. <laughs> Ellie Hagler, obviously, is the host of the OU report of the Jewish Reaction. Um, I think that's what it's called on the Nakam Field Network. Right, right. Um, and so I decided, let's think of another opportunity. Uh, to kind of bring something fun, showcase something in the Jewish community that I think people will enjoy, and that is the Center for Kosher Culinary Arts, which is in uh, 
Flatbush, which is where this uh, will take place. So I went with my wife uh, to, the co- to the Center for Culture Culinary Arts, I would say about uh, two months ago, um, and we tried it out. We did what they had with date night. Um, it's called date night. It's a couples competition where everyone gets a mystery basket similar to Chopped, and you get the run of their kitchen. They serve you food and drinks, and, uh, and you get to cook, and then everyone tries the food, and the judges try the food, and the winner gets a gift certificate to come back. So when I left there, I called Miriam, and I said, Miriam, this sounds like an awesome idea. Let's do a chopped competition. Just a warning, though, I will probably win. (laughs) He said, if you're probably going to win, that means Ellie Hagler has to definitely be part of it, because he'll definitely think he's going to win. And the rest of you are just villains. Yeah, exactly. Now, first of all, let me me just say, this is taking place, as you said, at the Center for Kosher Culinary Arts. It will be broadcast Thursday. What time is your show on Thursday? 8 o'clock, live video and audio. And video and audio, that's scary. Now, the Center for Kosher Culinary Arts is located in Coney Island Avenue. Uh, They have an array of courses. If you want to become a a chef uh, for a, a company, for a caterer, for a restaurant, this is the place to go. They have full range of courses and that lead to certification, and they have different courses. Uh, just like you said, they have this date night competition, uh, for couples today, as a matter of fact, they're having a barbecue uh, class this afternoon. So their number, I just want to throw it out there, is 718-758-1339. Now, the winner of the competition is going to be receiving a gift certificate from Jay Soho. The program itself is being sponsored uh, by Manischewitz. Uh, I think, by the way, that the losers should at least get a lesson from uh, the Kosher Culinary Arts uh, Institute would be a nice thing. But you're one of the competitors, as I am, and I have no experience in the kitchen. Uh, Ellie Hagler, who uh, I was uh, thinking maybe I should bring some tennis balls. He could do something with that in his cooking. And uh, and Mark Zamek, though. I mean, Mark Zamek, come on, with the name Zamek, you have to be scared there. He has the last name, but I don't think we'll be doing any baking. But I will tell you that, um, although I think we should keep the details off the air, I am a little intimidated by some of the email banter. One of the gifts of email <laughs> is that we're able to have some fun um, and some serious conversation and preparation, but also some banter. So I, I, I can only imagine what the next few days will hold um, in anticipation of that. But, uh, you know, Mark, behind the scenes, I've been told, is, is, is quite a chef. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear. Uh, and uh, but I understand that you are also. Uh, you know, I just had on Rabbi Danny Center. I don't know if you were able to catch that. Uh, I heard that. I, I I assumed that you were trying to get Miriam, who's the only one from the Nakam Steel Network who knows the ingredients, to tell you whether or not honey was one of the ingredients or not. Yeah, was I, I, I was kind of hoping that, but uh, I don't know. That would be an interesting ingredient. Now I, you're not going to you're not going to share anything with me. I mean, when I asked you to be on the air with me this morning, you told me right out there. If you're looking for tips, you ain't getting any from me because we're competitive. Competitors, you're, you're a competitive person, and you, hey, you want to you want to look good with this. But I understand. This is what I'm told that when you competed there, you made a, a chicken breast, you made the pickled radishes, but y- you feel you were robbed. You did not win. So what happened? Well, my wife and I did not win. Um, it was really twofold. I think the reason, um, and this is why I am calling uh, this stunt also redemp- personal redemption. Um, I, you know, the judge said. He's a professional chef. He told me that we were the only ones who didn't overcook our chicken breast. He was impressed that we were able to pickle radish. By the way, one tip, if you're going to pickle stuff, I will give you one tip. You have to use a mandolin, Google what that is, um, to cut, because then you get thin enough spices to pickle in a limited time frame. Uh But my wife and I focused on one dish that brought together all the elements. Other people made this with an hour-and-a-half competition, so they made dessert, which they used, you know, a home recipe that they remembered for blondies and this and that. 
and they wooed the uh, the chef with that. The other thing I will say is that our competition was judged by one person. This competition that we're having with the stunt show is judged by judged by four distinguished culinary experts. Well, so that one person happened to not like tropical salad, which is what we made with some spinach and some strawberries and kiwi. Right. And so that was one person's taste. But our distinguished panel of culinary experts, I think, will give will will have a fair and very intense and an analytical judgment of our dishes. By the way, will it scare you if I tell you that I have a mandolin-type slicer in my house? No, because I also have one. I think it's a great thing. Just be careful with uh, your fingertips as you're practicing. Yeah, before the true. Now, you mentioned the judges. One of the judges is going to be Schiffer Klein, who's editor of the Joy of Kosher magazine. So hold on a second. I just have to make a note to call Jamie Geller and find out exactly what kind of dishes Schiffer Klein likes. One second there, okay? Okay, the- nice note. And find out from <laughs> Jamie Geller all of the tips. Mathis, I am so confident in my abilities that I don't even need to call Jamie Geller. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Nachum Siegel is one of the uh, judges. Now, I have to remind Nachum that I uh, help him with um, getting host guest hosts when he's on vacation. So, uh... Well, I will remind Nachum that his wife, <laughs> Stacy was my nursery school teacher in her first class. <laughs> so I got her start into everything that she is uh, now as a teacher. Okay, and then there's Naomi Nachman, who is uh, – you were on with her on uh, – see, this I don't understand. You were on with her on thir- on Friday morning on her show. She's a judge. It's one thing for me and you to, to banter back and forth, but she's a judge and you were on with her. And I was buttering her up about her awesome accent. This is true. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Chef Avram Wiseman, who is the dean of the um, Center for Kosher Culinary Arts. Uh, are you afraid of uh, of that? I'm a little afraid of the dean. I got to be honest, because uh, and and also, I, 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 Shifra and Naomi I mean, Nachum is certainly a food expert, right? Um, but but he comes from it more as a layman. Being with the professionals is very intimidating because if you if you overspice or you underspice just a little, they're going to notice those little th- those little missteps. Right. Uh, I don't want you to uh, to faint away here, but uh, do you think it's going to be a problem for you the fact that uh, Chef Avram Wiseman is my first cousin? Um, I think that all of the uh, odds are in your favor, <laughs> and yet I don't think that will help. So what I hear about your, your your cooking, but you know, there is many hours to watch the Food Network and to practice. <laughs> Wait, yes, well, well, I do watch the Food Network, but uh, not not for the purpose of this. I watch it because I enjoy it, and I, I uh, at least see the way things are done. But uh, does it at all concern you that I watch the Food Network uh, all back to back chopped episodes from about? 10 p.m. last night till about 2 in the morning? That shouldn't concern me. That, that should concern your family. Uh, but, <laughs> no, well, well I, 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 yeah, that, I think that would concern me because um, you're very fresh on this, and you're going to be doing this for the rest of the week in order for this competition to, to work. So I hope you get – you know, actually, the fact that you didn't get much sleep might be good, and as the week progresses, you'll get less and less sleep as we head towards Thursday. Keep on watching till two in the morning. I think that's a great, great well, my idea. My nerves are already keeping me up that late. So. Right now, I know that we're going to be competitors, but in terms of cooking, and you're not a professional chef, what do you enjoy about cooking when you're doing it? What appeals to you? Do you have any particular style or particular dishes that you enjoy to make for? For others, is it uh, is it that you enjoy the food, or you like it when others enjoy the food, or both, or what? So I was going to say I, I like when others enjoy the food. I also like the experimentation of cooking, as I explained to Naomi on Friday morning. I don't bake at all, mm-hmm. um, so if they give us like flour, I'm in big trouble. 
Um, oh. but, uh, hold on, I, hold I on. <laughs> let's see, hold on. <laughs> Can we switch? Miriam, yeah, Miriam, let's switch out. Yeah, switch it to flour. Thanks. Okay, exactly. sorry about that. Yeah, so, Daniel. <laughs> so, so I don't bake at all because I. One of the downsides of baking, although it is, you know, baked goods are delicious, is that it is an exact science, both literally scientifically in terms of proportions, but also right. in terms of flavors. Whereas when you cook, you have the opportunity to experiment with different things. I enjoy personally Asian flavors. Um, one of the things I try now is to figure out how to get healthier Asian options because things like MSG and sodium are not so good for you. Um, and oftentimes that those are the things that make Asian food delicious. Um, so I, I do like Asian cuisine. Um, I've tried everything in Asian style. I've made Asian cholins. Um, I've made all kinds of meats and chickens and uh, vegetables and rices and all kinds of side dishes um, just with an Asian twist. Um, and, and I think that one of the joys of cooking is that, especially as uh, Jews, which is something I'm actually going to talk about this evening in my country segment, um, we have something called Shabbos, and Shabbos is all about um, family, but also about the aromas of what I call the Alpahain, of the of the old country. And so the tradition, the, the traditional Jewish foods and the aromas that were the same as in my grandfather's town in Lemberg and my grandmother's town in Panovich are some of the same that are in my parents' home and are in my own, and yet I get to add onto that tradition and onto the Mesorah uh, of Jewish cooking and of the tradition that comes with it uh, with my own takes on it. That's fascinating. Daniel Gordon is my guest this morning. He is, uh, besides the uh, manager of presidential communications and public affairs for the Office of the President at Yeshiva University, he is the host on the Nachum Siegel Network of The Stun Show, one of the rotating hosts, and that takes place on Thursday evenings on the network, NachumSiegel.com. And he is going to be one of the competitors, along with myself, Mark Zamek, and Ellie Hagler, uh, on a cook-off that will be airing this coming uh, Thursday. It'll be, uh, as you mentioned, it'll be audio and video, which is uh, going to be even more pressure on everybody, I'm sure. And that'll go you to your, your advantage. Outfit laid out already? Outfit laid out? Absolutely not. <laughs> I have no idea. I have to have an well, outfit? <laughs> I, I, I do. I'm trying to woo the judges in any way possible. Oh, no. What, what's, your, uh, what's your outfit? Well, well uh, just because my first cousin, uh, <laughs> I can't bribe my first cousin. <laughs> Or call uh, one of the uh, judges' bosses, or call my old friend Nachum Siegel, who I happen to help out when he wants to go on vacation. You know, I need something. And so you're, you're, I, you care to divulge what you're going to wear, or no? Um, the truth is, I actually was discussing this with my wife last night. See, that worries me right away. That worries me that you're actually discussing this ahead of time. Well, well, one of the challenges you have to worry about is temperature. The kitchen is going to be hot. Of course. You don't want long sleeves in your way. At the right. same time, it may be a little cool. They do have fans there um, to keep it cool. So, I don't know, short sleeves, long sleeves, pants. You have to wear sneakers, by the way. That is a rule in, in cooking. Right. If anybody shows up in flip-flops, it would probably be Ellie Hagler move. We'll kick him out of the kitchen. Wait a second. Mario, and, uh, the rest Ma- Mario Vitale wears Crocs, doesn't he? Yeah, but Mario, I mean, Mario Vitale is Mario Vitale. I will tell you that I do have a friend who recently actually knocked a knife off of her uh, countertop and set her tendon near her foot. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's a good reason to wear... Uh, so safety. Yeah. Safety comes first, by the way. It's true. Absolutely. Now, uh, do you have your own set of knives? Knives are like the most important... Most people think that you have to have the right pots and pans, you have to have the right stove, obviously all of that. But knives are probably, for a chef, the biggest uh, uh, thing that you could have to make your cooking go the way you want it. So I have a very special set of knives. It's almost one of the things... That I uh, that I was very uh, insistent upon having 
uh, when I got married and registered uh, was, was a good set of knives. I will not be bringing the knives there. Of course you um, did. But actually a common misconception <laughs> yes. is that bigger knives are more dangerous. And this is something we talk about all the time. No, I would say um, the opposite. They're easier to handle. Exactly. Sometimes these are handy. You obviously have to take the safety precautions. Right. And one of the one of the classes they offer at TKC is actually knife skills. I did not take it, but I actually learned a lot about good knife skills on YouTube. Really? Because Harvey Sober at YU teaches knife skills. That same thing or no? <laughs> yeah, Harvey Sober chops the uh, the onions in the air. Yeah, yes. I chop the onions on the table. Ah, okay, okay. Now I will tell you a tip. Uh, that people might not realize when when you see people on um, on the different shows cutting uh, fruits or vegetables very quickly, one little secret here that they may not show is the easiest thing to do is to first cut a flat surface, like cut the bottom or you know cut a part of let's say you're you're cutting a, even an apple, I don't know, uh, or an onion. Cut off a piece so it's a flat surface. Put the flat surface down, and then you can cut faster because you're not trying to hold it from rolling away. It's very interesting that you mentioned that because that was a tip I gave on Naomi Nachman's show. Yeah, you don't think I was listening? Of course I was listening. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, <laughs> but so I did most, I did know that. I did know that ahead of time, and it is an important most tip. Most commonly, you see people who either mishandle small items and big items. Right. So, for instance, even something like an onion, if you just cut a little bit off one side and leave it standing, then all of a sudden you can handle it better. Or a very large item, a, uh, a watermelon, a pineapple, those types of things. If you just uh, – a cantaloupe. If you just cut the top of the bottom off and just leave it so it, so it can sit flat, all of a sudden it becomes much more manageable. Right, exactly. Daniel Gordon, uh, host of the one of the hosts of the Stun Show. Uh, before we end off, let's do it in a non-competitive way. Uh, if people are going to be uh, at a barbecue today, for instance, what would you? What kind of recipe would you uh, throw out to them uh, that they could prepare? You know, some some dish that they could prepare pretty quickly and easily today that uh, anyone could do and would turn out to be good. So the tip I will give is the thing that changes barbecue from average to above average or incredible is something that um, actually there's only one kosher real barbecue uh, place I know of in Teaneck and then another kosher barbecue place, uh, a food truck um, that does this, and that is to cook low and slow. So oftentimes we don't have the chance to prepare for a barbecue, so we just go, uh, you know, we throw the hot dogs on, or more importantly, we throw the brisket or the meat on, and we try to cook it as fast as possible. But the real barbecue flavors is to put a rub on the on the uh, on the meat. That is something you can buy in the store. You can even make it something easy with uh, paprika, cayenne pepper, brown sugar. Brown sugar is great because it caramelizes. Um, and then you rub it on the meat and you put it on the barbecue, but you leave the barbecue at a low temperature and you cook it for a long time. So on a cloudy day like today, you could put a piece of brisket on for five, six, seven hours before your barbecue, and the flavor will be exponentially better. Excellent. Excellent tip. Thank you so much, Daniel. I look forward to competing against you, but I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. Whoever wins, uh, maybe you, maybe not, whoever wins, it's going to just be a great time, and uh, we look forward to seeing this on Thursday on the Stun Show on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com at 8 p.m. Thank you again for joining me this morning. Thank you, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Thanks, you too. Take care. It is 8.53 in the morning. We're going to go to some music before we wrap up here on JM Sunday.
Nar Hayisi from Shalshelis Jr., volume number two. My thanks to uh, the News from Israel correspondent, our weekly correspondent, Hannah Levy Julian, for joining us this morning. My thanks to Rabbi Danny Center of the uh, Huff K and uh, of NJBs. He can be contacted at 201 491 4602njbs.com. And my thanks, of course, to Daniel Gordon, one of the hosts of the stunt show. And we will be competitors this week on an amazing stunt show, a cook-off that is going to be taking place. And it will be aired on Thursday night, this coming Thursday night, on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L.com, on the network at 8 p.m. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, probably... I'll hear more about it during the uh, during the week. Nachum is uh, back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., bright and early, on the radio, on the stream, followed by the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten at 9 a.m. And uh, following this show in just a minute or so, the Book of Life with Charlie Harari and Encore presentation. Thanks, everyone, for joining me this morning. Hope you had a great time. Happy Father's Day to everyone, and we'll see you back next week here on JM Sunday.